Well, uh, most appropriate that that ad you ran uh, just before uh, was uh, was about uh, anti-racism because uh, Remembrance Day, uh, 11th November this year, uh, occurred just this past Sunday. And uh, and uh, uh, my dad was an Air Force veteran of World War II, and I respect and honor the veterans themselves, their sacrifice and their suffering. Despite his three years in England flying missions over the North Sea, my dad spoke very little about what he'd lived through. He never joined the Legion, nor did he march with his medals on Remembrance Day. He did not find war edifying or glorious. Like him, I am opposed to the militarism of the Remembrance Day we currently have and support the White Poppy campaign to remember all the victims of war. I was struck by a number of thoughts this past Remembrance Day, which commemorated the 100 years since the armistice was signed in France in 1917. I, 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 I'm just always amazed by the huge numbers of young men sent to certain death for the vanity of the rich and the aristocrats. The numbers of war dead was in no way contextualized in the reports that I had, and no way was contextualized as inherent in the nature of war between the imperial powers determined to maintain their empires and colonial rule. Africans and other colonial subjects, including Canadians, were recruited to fight both in the colonized countries and in the European front, but that wasn't mentioned. I was also struck down by the flagrant racism which, which led to black Canadians being originally turned down when they tried to enlist and eventually being signed up as the number two construction battalion. They were sent to the front lines to build trenches, roads, and evacuate casualties from the battlefield, but they were never given guns. There was a Globe and Mail article, Black on the Battlefield, Canada's Forgotten Battalion. That was on last Saturday, November 10th. You can check it out. It's very interesting. Similarly, the contribution of Indigenous people was sadly underplayed. They and the black troops were proud to serve and risk their lives in the fight for their country, only to be relegated to apartheid status upon their return to Canada after the war. But this is a show about Africa. And I was struck by an excellent piece of journalism by Ethan Cox and Aaron Seaton, Seater, writing for Ricochet Media. Ricochet Media is a public interest uh, journalism, online journalism. Uh, it's, it's a response to the context where the, the, the rest of the mainstream media is totally controlled and totally manipulated. It's independent, it's dedicated to investigative journalism, and very, very incisive opinion. Ricochet illuminates the cultural and political diversity within Canada, and I've become their biggest fan over the course of this week. It started with in-depth research into a company called Firefox Ventures. That's Firefox Ventures. The um, 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 Ricochet published uh, a, a long piece under the uh, heading The Alt-Right, and the piece was entitled Meet the Canadian Soldiers Behind a White Supremacist Military Surplus Store. And the byline was... Investigation connects Canadian Forces members to Firefox Ventures, a web store glorifying the era of white rule in Rhodesia. Well, obviously, my attention was caught immediately. I saw that. The article was uh, dated 29th October, and you just have to go to media. I'm sorry, ricochet.media, and, uh, and uh, you'll find it there very quickly under the uh, Canadian content. 
Having just been in Zimbabwe in early October as the guest of Mshana Nkube, a freedom fighter with the Zimbabwe African People's Union, in the struggle to liberate Zimbabweans from the racial oppression of that very same Rhodesian regime, I was forced to remember that tragic history and, and reflect on how the Internet has allowed those racists to live on. I, uh, uh, Firefox Ventures is an online army surplus sales site with a sick twist. The store is run by avowed white supremacists, several of whom were active members of the Canadian Armed Forces. I'm not surprised about the Armed Forces. That's, that's, that's uh, historic. But to bring up Rhodesia... Anyway, the store specializes in memorabilia from Rhodesia and glorifies the illegal white minority regime of Ian Smith that undertook a unilateral declaration of independence from Britain on November 11, 1965. Ah, Remembrance Day, no less. Rhodesia is viewed by these modern-day racists as a valiant last stand of a glorious white civilization resisting being overwhelmed or overrun by the inferior black race after being betrayed by liberals and Jews. I've thrown out all the slogan words I can throw into one sentence. Even by, let's go back to the history a bit, even by 1962, Britain had accepted the inevitability of independence in northern Rhodesia and Nyasaland, now Zambia and Malawi respectively. They had been forced, those two countries had been, enforced in, been forced into an unhappy and unhealthy federation with southern Rhodesia, where a sizable white settler population had been given a degree of autonomous self-government and installed an apartheid system of colonial government which resembled that of South Africa. The whole thing with passes, inferior education, health, inferior job opportunities, etc. The whites of Rhodesia controlled the federation with Nyasaland and Northern Rhodesia in it. And they viewed it as a partnership between a horse and a rider. And of course, the Africans very, knew, very well knew who was the rider and who was the horse. Britain put a very half-hearted effort into encouraging the Rhodesian whites into allowing African participation in the government process. But the white Rhodesians could not tolerate that possibility. They resisted the famous winds of change, which had swept the continent from north to south. And Nyasaland and Zambia were among the last to get their independence in July and October 1964. The regime, in the meantime, had built up its security forces during the national struggle. And, uh, and with the support of Portugal and South Africa, they felt quite capable of resisting any independence pressure from the rest of Africa. They also quite rightly assumed that Britain would never send its armed forces to fight against their white brethren, many of whom were World War II war vets who had been given land to settle after the war. Ian Smith declared that never in a thousand years would an African rule over the white people of Rhodesia. The republic the whites set up was ruled over by brute force. African nationalist opponents of white rule were arrested and, brutalit- and brutally re- suppressed. Early African opposition was, was, was low-key, almost polite, but as protests and resistance became more forceful, so did the regime react in the brutality of its repression. Rhodesian rights were both ruthless racists and effective bushfighters. Mercenaries were recruited to back them, and Africans from inside and outside of Rhodesia were recruited to work as counterinsurgents. 
The famous commando force, known as the Cellar Scouts, was particularly ruthless, and African resistance was met with a scorched-earth policy and collective punishment which made the countryside largely uninhabitable. Hundreds of thousands of Africans fled into Botswana, Zambia, and later in Mozambique after it got its independence in 75. Very large refugee camps in Zambia and Mozambique sheltered thousands of boys, girls, and other non-combatants. Nonetheless, the racist regime sent their air force and the camps were attacked and strafed from the air. Helicopter attacks brought white Rhodesian and mercenary commandos who walked through the camps shooting wherever, committing despicable wholesale slaughter of unarmed, defenseless refugees in complete disregard for any civilized rules of war. These are the heroic white people whose civilization the racist hate groups admire. Barbaric savages, these bastards. Let's just take a little break. Mm, Sean Cooty, he, uh, he can make that be. Uh, back to Firefox Ventures. Uh, the Rhodesian mem- memorabilia that they peddle as nostalgia of a glorious racist white rule and oppression of the majority population is is uh, it's pretty it's pretty sad in the face of what I just talked about. Uh, they've got even an Instagram uh, site uh, hashtag Make Zimbabwe Rhodesia Again. All of this is code word for white supremacists. It's no other way around it. The online world allows them to shamelessly share memes and posts in which they regret not having been alive to volunteer to serve in the Rhodesian forces. They keep alive the racist vocabulary with slang like slotting floppies, which refers to the, the floppies are Africans. It's a, it's a derogative word as bad as the N-word. Uh, it, it worse then, because... Uh, and the slotting is to look down a rifle slight and get them in your slight, sight so that you can shoot them. Uh, it's ultra-sexist as well. The Rhodesian Army p- recruitment poster said, Be a man among men. White Rhodesian men were defending the honor of their white women by demonstrating traditional warrior masculine values and dominance over women and others read people of color closely aligned now with the ascendant ultra-right racist nazi movement that raised its ugly head most visibly in august last year in charlottesville virginia and it's affiliated to ugliness like the world coalition against islam and id canada generation identity violent white nationalist identitarian again parenthesis racist nazis now you know, one of the heroes is epitomized by the recently created white racist uh, Dylan Roof, the white man who killed nine black parishioners in their church in Charleston, South Carolina in 2015. His goal was specifically to ignite a race war. He wore a Rhodesian flag as a patch on his shirt, and he posted his goals on his web- website under the title The Last Rhodesian, with pictures of his himself on Facebook holding a Rhodesian flag and an old apartheid South African flag, and, of course, denouncing the inferior intelligence of black people. Now, listen, folks, this is more than symbolic when it goes that direction. The movement wants to be militant and see themselves as warriors preparing to fight in a, in a, a racial war to defend their white nation and their ability to dominate. But let's go back to that article about Firefox Venture. 
it's extremely well researched and it reveals how the business's principles were contributing to widely diffused racist podcast, network, podcast networks. The company website also emphasized that the principles were serving members of the armed forces. And in quotations, they declared, as a company, we owe this little rogue state in Africa a debt of gratitude for being the spark that set us on our journey. When the online store and its contents were first brought to the attention of military author authorities, the first reaction was a very cursory investigation, and it, was, it, it concluded that the store was not in violation of the military code of conduct. That changed very quickly after the Ricochet article appeared because that article went into the details of each and every one of the principals and who they were and what was their connection to the military and to, to the right wing and to the racist right wing. Uh, and, 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 and finally, the, uh, the army ha had to denounce them and in implement corrective measures, which included dismissal. Now, it's no surprise, I said that earlier, that the racist right has always had close connections to and allies in the military and police. Uh, and, 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 and it's no surprise either, given the current climate, that the company has grown and continues to grow. If you need any more justification that they pose a social threat, just remember Charlottesville. Nazi rally, the, the Charleston church and the murder of its nine black worshipers. Remember Quebec City and the Muslims murdered at prayer. And more recently, the Philadelphia synagogue and the nine Jewish worshipers killed to the cry of all Jews must die. Rhodesia set the standard for such behavior. Check the reaction of Zimbabweans in Canada and the States to the sale of Russian memorabilia. That's also available in the Ricochet media, so you don't need my reaction. Go hear theirs. While there, also check out oh, an Aber uh, Alberta United Conservative Party of Jason Kenney and the famous alt-right rebel media run by Ezra Levant have both been infiltrated by agents of the Nazi white right. But don't, don't just think it's all far away in, in, in Alberta and the States. Right here in Montreal yesterday, the police issued a warrant for the Nazi Gabriel Sohei Chaputu, who goes by the, by the name of Ziger, uh, who has been a major force in promoting Nazi uh, philosophy, recruitment, and right-wing reaction, and was at that rally in, in Charlotte's, uh, Charlottesville, uh, Virginia, last year. Um, uh, but, but mostly, so, so, you know, we have to remember this. And I actively encourage you to remember the thousands of Africans who died at the hands of the Rhodesian racists during their war for independence. And as we remember them, let us recommit ourselves to fighting against the attempt to glorify racism, fascism, and imperialism. And it, 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 it has to be accepted. We are all anti-fascist. We cannot accept anything less. There can be no compromise. Thank you so much, Doug, for that. Uh, it's it's a good it's a good reminder of what we need to remember on November 11th each year, and how comprehensive that remembering needs to be. So it's a, such a greatly appreciated contribution to that. And you asked me to kind of speak to what you said. So I guess really one of my reactions is this deeply sick irony that. Uh, how is it that the white supremacists are the ones steeped in African history? 
<laughs> well, steeped in, in, in it, well, only the part that suits their needs. No, yes. but I mean, isn't it a strange irony that it's the white supremacists who seem to have gone through and, and picked out the stories that they want? And it's amazing to me because I think that uh, if we had a, uh, a population that was more literate in African history in general, these people would be completely irrelevant. If even even if our history talked more about the issues of colonialism in Canada with our native people, with our black yes. people, with our other minorities, with the detentions of the, 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 the Japanese during the war, if that was part of the history curriculum, people would be, be sensitized to injustice in a much mm-hmm. different way than they are today where all that has been swept under the carpet. Yeah, but I do find that the organized right-wing racists are well... They have this particular skill in cherry-picking historical moments to create their narrative. It really is an amazing thing. And if you ask the average Canadian, what was Rhodesia or who was Ian Smith, which all of us should know because as you so rightly pointed out in your Remembrance Day reflections, there's such an important story there. But the vast majority would have no No idea. idea. And yet... The white supremacists of Canada seem to be all too aware. You know, it's it's just amazing how they will go through and they will pick and choose these stories to construct their narratives. And next time you hear somebody, I won't name the name because I'm a show that's dedicated not to mentioning his name, but if you hear make America great or make Canada a great again, those are code words. Mm-hmm. They're very clearly code words that reflect on that historical memory that they want to promote. Mm-hmm. So perhaps I'll end with this. You you mentioned uh, this guy, uh, Ziegler, who, you know, has his phonon au Quebec, which is Chaput, who we don't even know if Chaput exists. But uh, Ziegler, I think his name is? Yes, yes. Definitely does. And it's an amazing thing that uh, there's an arrest warrant out for him. This is the fruit of a lot of work and a lot of anti-fascist work in particular. Absolutely. And then a very courageous journalist at the Gazette or a group of uh, actually journalists, journalism students who have done an enormous amount of research to shed light on this guy. There's another guy, and I can't quite recall his name right now, who also was picked up about a month ago because he felt that he felt emboldened by the uh, the person you shall not name, <laughs> by Trump and his uh, and his acolytes. He felt emboldened here as a Montrealer to post uh, on the Journal de Montréal uh, website in response to an article uh, published in Journal de Montréal that uh, his big dream and intention and plan was to shoot up a Jewish girls' school in Montreal. And uh, thankfully, there were very vigilant people who uh, made sure that this guy was arrested, and he actually was. And as part Part of his uh, riposte uh, or his his posting on uh, on the Journal de Montréal website, and I might add, they were awfully slow in taking it down, which was absolutely disgusting. It was eventually taken down when there was criticism, but as part of this post of shooting up a Jewish girls' school in Montreal, he said it was necessary uh, to first deal with the Jews, but then to deal with the Muslims who the Jews were allowing to come into the country. So again, this, you know, just such a hate-filled oh, it's, thing. It's so we're 
immersed in it, we're surrounded by it, and as you so aptly said, Doug, well, it's and our I, responsibility to deal with this. And 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 I, I I really want to stand up for the anti-fascist guys who do the research and they're going out and confronting yes. these others. They are they are the front line of our defense, and while they're getting a very bad rap. Uh, they, they they're are, bringing it to they're, light. They're putting their lives on the line for it. So they are indeed. I admire them. You're listening to Amanda here on CQT 90.3 FM. We're going to take a little musical break and then we're going to say bye-bye. <laughs> 